0: Going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Greetings and salutations, my friends. A very happy Thursday, one and all. Coming up on the show today, we are jam packed already, and we're going to start things off talking Reform Party Part Two. I don't think it's going to happen but it seems as though there's, whether it's separation or there's some sort of movement afoot. I don't know what it is, but is there a culture change? Has the culture always been there? Nelson Wiseman penned something back in uh, 2007, I believe it was, talking about the Canadian culture and whether we had found it or not. Well, as it turns out, and I think to nobody's surprise, there are different cultures politically across the country what's changed here in Alberta? So we'll chat with Nelson about that in just a couple of minutes. Also coming up, uh, I've spoken very highly of Russia Rising. It's a new podcast on the Curious Cast Network brought to you by us here at Chorus Entertainment. Jeff Semple has put this all together. Russia Rising is what it's called. And it's all about the preconceived notions, the perceptions that we have about Russia. And the first episode, the first full episode... Is all about the operations of Russian trolls, the online, not the, you know, living under the bridge guys. And it's a fascinating listen. Jeff will join us after four o'clock to talk about that. I'm also going to weigh in a little bit on the discussions surrounding the Alberta Teachers Association. I'm going to offer a different perspective, I suppose. It's not one that I necessarily agree with, but one that I do have a little bit of empathy for. So we'll get to that a little bit later on. Also, politics better on the federal scene. Man, oh man, not only is Justin Trudeau and company in a lot of hot water, but the Speaker of the House took MPs to task today as well, right before question period. And a couple of Alberta MPs in particular uh, getting raked over the coals right away. And it's just further proof that we elected a bunch of high schoolers. And to the point that I heard, I can't remember if it was a couple of days ago, somebody made mention of it. And I kind of sloughed it off as just another one of those comments around politics. But man, when you look at what we've elected, and by we, I mean we as a society, over the course of the last, I don't know, four or five years. Diplomacy is something that is certainly lacking, isn't it? Just think about that for a second. We will uh, also chat through the course of the day. There's a a Franchise Canada show coming to Calgary over the weekend and a great story about changing gears in one's life. Tayyub Rasool will join us after 4.30 to talk about his life from the oil engineering life to being a franchisee. We'll chat with him about that. And the Arkells have uh, gained a lot of attention over the last little bit. The Canadian Rockers were, have been in Calgary the last couple of days, surprised a school here in town by playing one of their songs with the kids who had done a cover of their song. They're also going to be uh, headlining a show here in town on Saturday. But as they head to the show, they're going to be playing in a C train. It's funny the links that bands and artists will go to but at the same time as that's what needed. So we'll be joined by the band in a little bit. We'll chat politics next here on Calgary Today. All right, let's get right into it. He is a professor, director of Canadian studies at the University of Toronto. His name is Nelson Wiseman. He joins us now on the program. Nelson, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you. When you wrote the piece, In Search of Canadian Political Culture, so I wonder, first off, did you actually find a political culture here in Canada? And secondly, in your mind, has that culture changed since you wrote the
1: piece? Uh, Culture changes very slowly. It's not like weather. And uh, uh, about half the book looked at um, the regions, and one of the things the way I split up the West was between Manitoba and Saskatchewan on the one hand and Alberta and BC on the other hand, even though Alberta and BC have a lot of things in common politically, Manitoba and Saskatchewan historically have been the most receptive to the CCF NDP. Mm -hmm. Uh, BC and Alberta have been more detached from the rest of the country. And they're also been the growth nodes in in ways that manitoba and saskatchewan haven't been so that's one of the differences i noticed in in the west at least at the political level
0: right what seems to motivate that cultural change that you spoke of earlier
1: well i think it's the change in the economy um if you go back a hundred years what tied the three Prairie provinces together was agriculture. Agriculture is not the driving force in the economy today. It is important, but when people talk about Alberta having problems, they think about oil, which nobody talked about a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and agriculture isn't at the top of the list there. So, what people do now, their occupations are totally different. Um, and uh you know and that's because of the economy i mean at a uh, hundred years ago when you had the um progressive party which uh, swept the west the rural areas it was essentially a farmers party that's what it represented now farmers are really uh a marginal force compared you know hum, what percentage of the workforce are farmers mm-hmm. in canada and even in alberta you, I think you've got more people that are dependent on the oil industry and its offshoots than you do uh, related to agriculture. So uh, people in Alberta, for example, is a very urban province. The concentration of population is in Calgary and uh, and Edmonton. If you go back 100 years ago, Calgary was li- known as Cowtown. Mm-hmm. And it was like that, actually, until... Uh, Really, uh, af- until after the Leduca uh, oil fields was really exploited in 1947. And then when we had a big boost in oil prices in the 70s, Calgary picked up. So it's now, uh, you know, one of the largest cities in the country, whereas, you know, it, I, I don't think it ranked even in the uh, top 30 uh, 80 years ago.
0: I always believe that history can teach us a lesson in any time of uh, strife. And I'm curious from your studies in that, can we today learn from something that has happened politically as we see this divide or this uh, malcontent between the West and the rest of Canada?
1: Well, first off, it's it's tempting to talk about a region called the West, but Attitudes in Manitoba, I would say, are much closer to attitudes in Ontario, mm-hmm. even though people there think of themselves as the West and they think of Ontario as the East. But when you look at how they behave politically, uh, the Liberal Party, for example, does very well in Manitoba. doesn't do that well in Alberta, and I suspect it might lose every single seat in Alberta in the coming election. I won't say that about Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Similarly, if you look at British Columbia, the Liberal Party does very well there. Um, And they're going to continue to hold a lot of seats there. So because Alberta has been such a growth node in the country, but so is BC, a lot of people uh, think that what Alberta stands for is what the West stands for. And that's just simply not the case.
0: What should Albertans take away from that then? Because there's this notion of whether it's the West wants in, like back in 1988, for example, when the Reform Party was was created, or even today with the, the way that we feel a little shirked by our federal counterparts, is there something that we should be taking into consideration as we go about trying to plead our case? Uh
1: Albertans have always felt that they've been neglected and not well-treated by the federal government, especially when liberals are in power. And if we go back to 1988, let's remember the Reform Party didn't win a single seat. It only got 15%. If we go back to, yes, um, 88, it only got 15% of the vote in Alberta. Preston Manning ran and lost. The reason the Reform Party became a big factor in 1993 wasn't so much what it did, it was created a because of something actually that happened in manitoba but it it did very poorly in manitoba that was the uh, contract the maintenance contract for the cf-18 fighters right. which was given to quebec even though the winnipeg bid was technically superior cheaper and recommended by the neutral bureaucracy but you know i mean quebec had seventy five seats in the house of commons and manitoba only had fourteen so that that led the fire for why reform party was formed but it didn't succeed so why did it make this big breakthrough in ninety three the the reason it made a breakthrough was because the conservatives fell on their face they ran a disastrous campaign people looked around they weren't going to vote liberal so there was the reform party and remember uh, a quarter of the population in ontario voted for the reform party as well although they only elected one seat it was essentially in Ontario it was rural support. Mm-hmm. But it never really uh, it it was really an attempt to redo the Conservative Party, which it did. It took it over. And although Albertans were happy when the Harper government was in power, if the main beef about Alberta is concern about its oil industry not doing well during the harper years he was in power for nine years the conservatives ruled not a single inch of pipeline was built in this country So you have this uh... reaction animosity toward ottawa you feel you're not being well treated quebecers feel that too so do atlantic canadians Uh, people actually in virtually every part of the country feel that in alberta it's always been it's very highlighted when you've got a liberal government in power, because the Albertans ha- haven't been voting liberal for a 100 years. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there something to be said then for, I don't want to call it history repeating itself, but let's say later on this year when we go to the polls, and let's say, I know here in Alberta we'll say this couldn't possibly happen, but there is a very realistic possibility that Justin Trudeau is elected back into office and the Liberals continue their their uh, with another term. So, what then will there could there be a repeating of history in the sense of the rethink when it comes to the conservative movement?
1: Well, the Conservative Party is currently led by a Westerner, mm-hmm. by Andrew Scheer from Saskatchewan, and we're... Where Alberta is becoming more influential is because it's grown in population, it now has more seats in the House of Commons than it once did, many more seats. So the center of gravity um uh, demographically and economically has been shifting toward the West really since the nineteen fifties, even the late forties, because of oil because of the attractiveness of British Columbia, its climate, uh, because increasingly now Asian influence. So, uh, but B.C. is very different than Alberta in terms of its political culture. And even mm-hmm. when you start talking about a provincial political culture, you have to remember that the attitudes in rural areas are very different than the attitudes in urban areas. Hundred percent. So I think there are four liberal seats now in, in Alberta. Correct me if I'm wrong. But of course, they're all going to be in urban areas, and there's one NDP seat, uh, you know, which is in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So you've got divisions within provinces as well. Uh, you've got microcultures you might talk about, and that exists in the other provinces as well. The big division, however, roughly, is uh, cities and versus rural areas. What often tips the balance in elections are suburban election, uh suburban areas, mm-hmm. because they can vote one way or they can vote the other. And, I you know, I suspect that happened in your last provincial election where the NDP did very well in, in the core of, of the big cities mm-hmm. and also managed to swing over a number of suburban seats.
0: Absolutely. and And not only that, but some of the smaller urban centers as well.
1: And that's the key. They were urban centres.
0: Uh, Nelson, I do appreciate the time and the insight into uh, your thoughts on the uh, the political culture, I guess, here in Canada.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Were the Russians in support of Trump? Were they in support of Hillary? Could they meddle with Canadian politics? It's a question that might get answered in a new podcast called Russia Rising. Global news reporter Jeff Semple is the mastermind behind this one, and he joins us now. Jeff, thanks so much for the time. Great to be with you, Joe. Take us to the very beginning, and what prompted the idea of coming up with this series or this look behind the scenes of what's happening in Russia?
2: Yeah, well, it's a good question. I mean, I'd I'd been based as a reporter, a journalist um, in in Europe, mostly based in London, for about six years Mm -hmm. uh, working for Canadian network like Global. And so that involves a lot of reporting on Russia, of course, and often for the wrong reasons. I mean, Russia... Just so often accused of behaving badly, of doping, of hacking, meddling in elections, and even attempting to assassinate former Russian spies, like we saw with Sergei Skripal in um, Salisbury, England, last year. But despite all of that constant coverage and attention, I think there is a feeling that Russia is still mis- deeply misunderstood by a lot of people, including, you know, many Canadians, and so. A podcast offered, we thought, an opportunity to go a little deeper into some of these issues and some of these stories than we often get to do in your sort of typical daily news story and, and go a little bit deeper and to really spend some time on the ground in Russia and Moscow and St. Petersburg. Talking to some of the people who are sort of the main characters in some of these stories, including, you know, a former Russian troll who worked at that now notorious troll factory in St. Petersburg, the one that's been accused of meddling in the last U.S. election. We also spoke with a former Russian hacker, um, even spoke with a former KGB agent who actually received his Soviet spy training at the very same school as Russian President Vladimir Putin at around the same time. So they had some incredible insights, Joe, in terms of just exactly what has been going on here and what continues to happen. And so we're really looking forward to sharing their insights and those stories with our listeners uh, through this podcast over the next several weeks.
0: Give us a little bit of an idea as to the work that went into this series and into this podcast and how much uh, you guys... Put into it before you even started to sculpt the each episode.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting because originally, I mean, I could give you the long story, but the short story (laughs) is basically that uh, you know originally we wanted to go to Russia because there was a Canadian astronaut David Saint-Jacques who was uh, training at Star City getting ready to become the new Canadian representative on board the International Space Station. And he's up there right now, of course, and will be for the next few months. Uh, but then we said, well, you know what, if we're going to Russia, why don't we see if we can, you know, because we cover it so often, let's see if we can, you know, broaden our scope a little bit. And, you know, the more we started digging and, and started getting in contact with different people, the more you sort of realize that there are just so many incredible stories in a country that again is so often covered but so deeply misunderstood and that this might be an opportunity to do much more than a story about a Canadian astronaut and so we spent you know I've been to to Russia on reporting trips a few times um, and so on this latest trip uh, a few months ago we spent you know a little bit more time talking to as I say all these people including just ordinary Russians on the street because you know, you don't often get to hear from the man on the street in Moscow or in Saint Petersburg, and we really wanted to talk to young people as well, because of course we've got this so-called Putin generation, this entire generation of Russians who have, you know, grown up not knowing any other leader besides President Putin, who has been there either as president or prime minister for almost 20 years. So um, we just sort of followed the puck, as you say in Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know, at first it was just supposed to be a number of news stories that we were going to do for Global News Radio and tv but because it was such great material we thought you know let's give it a platform like a podcast which allows us to get as i say go a little deeper use more of the tape and to really delve into some of the discussions and and some of the stuff we
0: heard how long did it take for you to culminate some of the contacts that you were able to make because i can't imagine that they were walking up to you saying hey do i have a story for you or maybe they were
2: no, that's right. And I mean we I spoke we actually of course worked with um a local Russian translator who's a producer I've worked in, with him in the past and he's terrific um and he has some great contacts and uh, you know some of the others like the former troll that we interviewed uh, and who you can hear in the first episode mm-hmm. Vitaly Bespalov You know, a lot of these guys who, who used to work in this troll factory in St. Petersburg and who've since quit and spoken publicly about their experiences, most of them don't want to talk anymore. Um, you know, and, and few of them, you know, want to talk in the first place, of course, because they're Mm -hmm. worried they could face consequences. Vitaly Basbalov had done a couple of interviews previously, uh, and he said he'd faced the consequences. He said that he had been threatened with legal action, that he was, you know, told he was going to be charged with espionage, that accused of being an American spy. Uh, he said that he'd had his name dragged through the mud in some of the Russian-controlled TV news channels, who, you know, accused him of being a drug addict, for example. Um, but he still felt that he had a moral obligation to come forward and to talk about his experience, and that's, you know, something we heard a lot—that the people who did want to speak to us felt that it was important to speak up about uh, about their experiences, and so they bravely did. And so, again, it's an honor to get to share some of these stories, and so I hope people will check it out.
0: I don't want you to spoil your own episodes that are coming up in the weeks ahead. But at the same time, was there anything that really took you by surprise, something that really opened your eyes to what's going on in Russia?
2: Well, you know, we've heard so much about the, you know, the trolls and the troll factory and the meddling and all of that that was focused on the last U.S. election. And, you know, the reports that it was all about trying to get Donald Trump elected. I was a bit surprised to learn that that was actually only part of the story, mm. um, that this troll factory, you know, targeted other countries besides the United States, that the number of posts that were coming from this this organization actually rose after the U.S. election. So it didn't stop there. And what was interesting, when we started looking through, I mean, spent hours combing through some of the posts and the tweets that Twitter has actually identified as coming from this troll factory, and you start to realize, Joe, that this was about much more than just promoting a single issue or a single candidate um that this effort was really to try and just sow division and spark fierce emotional debate i mean these trolls were and are promoting both sides of a given issue so there were tweets for example that were pro-immigrant and anti-immigrant that were um you know that were some someone one of them said, keep Canada white. Mm-hmm. Well, another tweet promoted Black Lives Matter. Um, so it was clear that, you know, it, I think it raised questions for me and, and, you know, for a lot of people who have been studying this a lot longer than I have about what exactly is the motivation here. Um, you know, and I think, you know, part of the answer, at least, is that it would appear that part of them that they're the, the effort is aimed at trying to sow division. Between Western allies like Canada and the United States, but also between ordinary Canadians, and trying to turn us against each other, and I think. That's a good thing to be mindful of, uh, particularly with the Canadian federal election on the horizon later this year.
0: The other part that, especially in that first episode, that took me by surprise and and really painted that picture was not just the perceptions of Canadians and Americans, but even of Russians towards Canada and the U.S. to sow that idea in their mind that, hey, maybe democracy isn't as solid as the i believe it was coined organized uh democracy or something along those lines
2: yeah well that's right i mean this was this is another sort of theory that we've we've heard a lot is that you know, in terms of in terms of the question, trying to answer the question, why? I mean, mm-hmm. what is the motivation for all of this? And I think, you know, part of the answer that we also heard is that you know, if you buy the theory that President Putin is effectively interested in making the Western version of democracy look bad, because remember, in Russia, you've got a system that's often described as a managed democracy. Managed I mean, democracy. It is a one that's man. It. That, that's it, and it is a it is a one man autocracy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it is a, it is a strange system in Russia. And so, you know, the thinking is that, you know, that Russians will look, you know, will look West at Western Europe and at North America. And, you know, they, you turn on the news on, you know, in Russia TV news, and there are so many stories about just how crazy and dysfunctional and polarized Western countries, particularly the United States are right now. And so, you know, if you're an ordinary Russian, you see that, you see the chaos, and then you look at president Putin and his, you know, version of democracy, who they see as strong and stable, and stable and stability is a word that we heard so many times when we asked people about why they support Putin and continue to support the Kremlin, and you know, they a lot of them are very pragmatic. I mean, they don't think he's perfect, but they think that he has brought you know stability to a country. Uh, in sharp contrast to what they're seeing in the political system in the United States.
0: You have me hooked, Jeff. That's all I can say. It's uh, Russia Rising. You can download the podcast wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's Google Play, iTunes, anywhere else you get them. Uh, Jeff, thanks for this. Great to talk to you, Joe. Imagine having a master's degree in petroleum engineering, taking a look at the economy as it was, and deciding, you know what, you can do something different. Like buying a franchise, for example. That's the story of Tayub Rasool, who joins us now. Tayub, thanks so much for the time today.
3: Thank you, Joe. How are you? Well,
0: I am fantastic, man. Uh, you have quite the story, and I wanted to tap you in on this. I know that there's a, a big conference coming up here in Calgary over the weekend, but you've got such a uh, yeah. unique story to tell, Take us back to 2015 when you decided that your educational direction wasn't going to match where your future exactly was, go- was going to be heading.
3: That's correct. Uh, I would like to briefly even take you back in 2008, 2009, when I first came into Canada as a permanent resident. Um, I am actually undergrad chemical engineer as well from Pakistan and worked with Nestle as a food engineer for five years uh, since I came in end of 2008, in Canada, it was a recession. Mm-hmm. So that's what the start of the story is in Canada, as far as I'm concerned and my family. So mm-hmm. I went into the business. It was a uh, renowned convenience store and gas station chain in Canada. And uh, I wanted to go into my own field, but it was a recession. Uh, finally, I took some savings since 2008 until 2013, when I went to University of Calgary, for my masters in petroleum because I wanted to again go back into my own field in technical uh, engineering and design but uh, again I was in my first semester of uh, sorry last semester of uh, petroleum engineering which started in January 2015 until April and oil came back from one of five dollars per barrel to Mm mid-forties dollar per barrel and that's what uh, the whole plan got changed and in Calgary, uh, when I used to uh, study and I used to live in university residence, I used to go to the downtown trains and Calgary transit were all full. But by the end of April, when I graduated, it was all empty, mm-hmm. silence everywhere. So that silence actually bogged me down and to go back into the franchising into, into the, another business and that's what I started figuring, figuring it out that uh, I have to give my family uh, well uh, uh, life and well human life so that's what I decided to go back into the business and that's what it is. Two recessions in six years, seven years odds and my story was totally kept on changing.
0: Was that something that you've always been willing to accept? Is that, you know what, times might get tough and I might need to adapt? Or is that how you were born, as as sort of an entrepreneurial mindset? Or is that something that you learned Not through the all. process?
3: Not at all. In Pakistan, my whole family, uh, or most of the family is basically uh, doing uh, their jobs in textile field. And uh, I wasn't even... Uh, I didn't know that I have some entrepreneurial skills and uh, because I also joined Nestle, a food company in Pakistan after my chemical engineering in back 2004, I didn't know that. And I was always, uh, as my family members and my elder brothers were at that time, uh, scared of business. So I came into Canada, uh, land of opportunities in 2008 when I came here first. So that's what I started figuring it out. And being as far as my own self is concerned, I've been always flexible and adapting new things with an open mind. That's what I am, again, into a franchising business.
0: Tayoub Rasool is our guest as he's talking about uh, the upcoming Franchise Canada show here in Calgary. We'll chat with you a little bit more in just a second. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. As we wind our way through these economic waters in these current times, especially in the oil and gas industry, it begs the question is, can you jump ship? When should you? Do you hold out for a little bit longer, or do you take matters into your own hands? Tayoub Rasool is a franchisee with Mary Browns, and he'll be speaking at the Franchise Canada show coming up this weekend. And Tayub, I wanted to know from your standpoint, was it worth the jump, and what did you learn through that jump into being a franchisee? Uh,
3: it has been always a good move for me uh, because uh, had, had it, I gone back to my own technical field, maybe, again, there are some other layoffs could have happened in the last three, four years since I graduated. So you never know. This energy sector or any other uh, sectors, they're all sometimes seasonal. Like season means five years, six years, you have good earnings, and after that for one year or two, uh, you have to keep your, uh, all spendings very lesser and tighter mm-hmm. as far as your economical condition is concerned, uh, with your employer. And that's why I really decided that yes, I did my master's, which was my dream as well, to go to the higher studies. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to a PhD level in UFC, but uh, I declined and went back to, uh, to the franchising business because, again, um, uh, when you see you are giving uh, two chocolates to your uh, kids and once you give them one or none, that scares me as well to give a good uh, life to your kids. Mm-hmm. That scares me a lot.
0: What have you learned about yourself over the last few years as you've gone from somebody who's obviously very well-educated and and strong in his field to going way off kilter? Uh,
3: the main uh, charisma was when I came in Canada, because in Pakistan I had a very lavish job of uh, food engineer and then promoted as a technical training manager of uh, my plant, uh, production plant. But anyhow, when I came here, the main um, uh, thing which, which was very... Uh, good and very uh, new to me that uh, work by yourself. Everybody is working by himself or herself. And that's what I was already adaptable. My personality is still kind of an adaptable thing. And uh, that's what I work by myself. Like uh, sometimes donkeys and a very hard labor <laughs> job I did in first two, three years uh, when I started my previous business of uh, convenience stores back in 2009 to 2010. So I worked by myself and then so that I could know that what my worker or my staff member will go through when he or she will be working the same thing what I was working. So this is the main thing, that don't uh, be scared by working with for yourself and by yourself. Uh, this is all about it. This is the beauty of life in Canada, that uh, you are your own driver.
0: I like those words, uh, Tayyub. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, and all the best.
3: And thank you so much.
0: Hey, Brasoul, who will be speaking this weekend at the Canada Franchise Show. It's happening at Stampede Park. Uh, if you want to know more about that, definitely go out and Google it. I like that. Canada, the land of opportunity. I think a lot of people still think it is. Some people might not. Canadian rockers, the Arkells are in town for a show on the weekend. Unbeknownst to those at Calgary Arts Academy on Wednesday, they won an award for the cover of a tune that they call uh, The People's Champ. And so the band or the the Academy thought, oh, we're just going to go and play this tune again. Then the band actually showed up mid show and start playing with the with the kids. Kind of cool. Joining us now, Max Kerman from the Arkells. Max, thanks so much for the time today.
4: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: You guys sure know how to pack a lot into a short amount of time here in Calgary, don't you?
4: Yeah, you know, it's been about two years since we played in town last, and and we thought we were overdue for some extracurricular activities. You know, there's a lot of friends we have in town, and uh, yeah, we we typically try to make the most of, of our days on tour.
0: I am curious, what's it like to hear your own song back from a group of kids covering it?
4: Yeah, it was a pretty surreal experience. You know, we've we've heard our songs on the radio and in sports arenas and in commercials, but you know to walk into a gym full of, you know, 200 kids all singing an anti Trump song was was very satisfying and
0: very fun. <laughs> it's gotta be a lot of fun in, in the sense too that it's such a different atmosphere. You're used to arenas or dance halls or whatever the case may be and this is a completely different setting for the band. How do you what's the energy like when you go up on stage and play a song?
4: Well I mean on tour um you know, we, we feel pretty at home on stage. I think everybody everybody's favorite part of the day is, is the actual show itself. And, you know, that's what we're thinking about during sound check And when I'm walking around the city thinking about the set list and what I might talk about on stage, it's pretty all-consuming and, and it's what we love to do. I'll say this though, yesterday when we were uh, waiting in the storage facility, like inside of the gym, waiting to Surprise the kids! I was actually pretty nervous because that was a completely new experience. <laughs> like we'd never done, and we never done anything like definitely a new sensation for us.
0: When it comes to what you guys are doing while you're in town, and and even with the the whole idea of taking the LRT to the show on Saturday, what conjured that idea up? Is that something that you guys dreamed up together, or how did that all come to be?
4: Yeah, we, uh, we've been really lucky that you know we've made real friendships with. With people at, you know, the radio stations and at the venues and, uh, you know, so when we're thinking about, okay, how can we make, you know, our time in town special and what would feel, you know, true to what we care about. When we did our hometown show in Hamilton, uh, the city offered free bus service and we did a community bike ride to to the show. So we're into, you know, alternate forms of uh transportation and like environmentally friendly ones as well so um that's why uh you know we all thought you know it kind of made sense to do it like that for our day on saturday
0: is there an element of trying to do things a little different to maybe catch some attention as well because uh, with you know whether it's CDs changing over to you know the mp3 and download world or you know the touring world has kind of changed and the release times have all kind of changed a little bit and so there's there is maybe a little bit of an added pressure maybe to uh, to try to differentiate yourself in the market
4: yeah um, I think so but also I think we're just always chasing new experiences I think that's one of the best parts about our job is is that like you know we get to experience new venues and uh you know different ways to connect with our with our fans and you know we've played like you know studio uh acoustic performances like enough times in Calgary mm-hmm. and we and we'll still do them but uh if if there's an opportunity to, to do something in a unique space that's always really appealing to us because We, like, haven't done that before. We haven't ever, you know, ridden the train, played some songs. And I think for the people that are going to ride the train with us, that'll be, like, a really, hopefully memorable time as well. So it's kind of like a win-win, I think, for everybody.
0: And obviously for you guys as well is the the hope is it never gets monotonous. It's not like okay we're in the next city, do the show, leave the city, go to the next city, go to you know like you don't want to get into that monotony of it as well. And so you guys have the opportunity to try some different things, and and some things might work, some things might not work, and it's all good at the end of the day.
4: Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. It's just like you know the job will become like no fun. I think if if it's the same old thing every time we come through, and uh, and you know, part of being, I guess, like a creative person is like just dreaming up, you know, something new or something different. And, uh, and we, again, we just feel really lucky that we have these, these real friendships in Calgary that we've developed over the years. You know, we, we've been coming to Calgary, I think, we, I just like for 10 years now. And I remember the first time we played in town, there was 10 people there. And, you know, the next time there was maybe 50. And then the time after that, there was 100. You know, so it's just like, and you build up, you know, brick by brick, uh, you know, through... Through like real relationships and, and, and like real performances,
0: mm-hmm. some of the th- my favorite albums are the ones. One in particular is Collective Soul with the Atlanta Youth orchestra Uh, i think it was called home and so when i when i read your story and what you did in calgary yesterday it got me to wondering would there ever come or could there ever come a day where the arkells do an album or do a full concert that ends up on uh youtube where you've got kids in the background playing playing their instruments as well maybe
4: Hey, maybe. Hey, that's kind of a cool idea. Actually, I'll say on our new record, we have a song called Eyes on the Prize, and we broadened a bunch of neighborhood kids uh, to sing the chorus hook, and it kind of creates a really cool effect. So uh, check that song out because we lean in that direction on that song already.
0: That sounds fantastic. We'll have to do that. Max, thanks so much for the time. Do appreciate it? Enjoy your stay in Calgary, albeit it's a little chilly. Sorry for that. That's
4: all right. See you guys on Saturday.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Calgary Today podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and tune in. When you do, don't forget to write the show and leave a comment. Until next time, my friends.